John chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptise if you're not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptising. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptising with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise him with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Apologies that the first minute or so of the sermon is missing. What their need, how will they feel about seeing us in heaven? It makes me think, what about God? The owner and creator of all things, including me and you, how will he feel about me being there after my treatment of those people? My disobedience of him, my ignoring him. Is that the world is filled with goodness and excellence, but also lots of awfulness, like the Nurse Letby situation and pain and hurt. It's also filled with lovely things as well, isn't it? It's just bewildering. But actually, it's a picture of my own heart. There's lots that's good, but much that is not. There's much to be proud of, but there's much that I feel guilty about and actually might make me worry about what does God think about that. Coco Chanel apparently said, guilt is perhaps the most painful companion of death. Voltaire, he wrote about it as well. He wrote, every man is guilty of the good he did not do. Even Depeche Mode, if I can put them in the same sentence as Voltaire, you wore guilt like shackles on your feet, like a halo in reverse. It's true, isn't it? You carry around what you've done. And instead of a halo, we've got these shackles around our feet. I'm not sure that I'm altogether happy about a perfect and holy God coming to meet me in Jesus. Is maybe what you might think. So you sort of think, well, I'll just try harder. Is that you? 
Or maybe there's a creeping doubt that Jesus' offer of light and life that we've been looking at is not for you because you've disqualified yourself because of your sin and the guilt you carry. Maybe others are a child of God, you think, and I am not. I try to bury that feeling, or, or I think that Christianity maybe isn't for me. Maybe there's so much mess in my own heart, I'm not even sure I could receive Jesus, even if I wanted to. Is that you? I actually had that from someone this last week. Maybe I need to sort out my wrongness here before I come to Jesus and come to God. I think there's, there's no way, if that's you and you think that, there's no way that you'll be someone who'll go, Nurse Letby can be in heaven. Because she's got to sort it out, hasn't she? And she can't. How can Jesus be light and life of mankind and make the worst of us, including me, make us children of God? How is that even possible? Here's the answer. Behold the person who ends our guilt, who takes away the sin of the world. The purpose of John's Gospel in John 20, verse 31, is these things are written that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that wonderful? The aim of God is for us to have life, not guilt. And what we've seen so far is that Jesus is God. We've seen that in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And we've also seen that Jesus is God's offer of life to us. Receive him, believe him, and being children of God, and we testify about him. In one, chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Yet to all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's God come, we're being given the right to be children of God. The question that arises is, well, how can he do that with me? How can he do that with my wrongness? How can he do that with Nurse Letby's wrongness? Is that really doable? See the person who ends our guilt. But first of all, before we get to that person, we're taken through a list of people to show there's nothing that we can do about our guilt. There's nothing that humans can do about our sin. Have a look down with me at verses 19 to 28. We start off... Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. And did you see where they were down in verse 28? This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. And this is his testimony in verse 19, his confession that he said, that's repeated twice, isn't it, in verse 20, about who Jesus is and about who he is not. He has to do that because everyone is waiting for this Messiah. Everyone is waiting for a Messiah because God's people have been a mess. Almost 1,200 years before John the Baptist, on pretty much the same spot in the River Jordan, God led his newly rescued people into his promised land, into his kingdom to be his people. And ever since then, all the way through the Bible, here, it's been an absolute mess. The priests and the Levites who are coming out here to ask Jesus, they're relevant too because they're a reminder of the same mess. Their whole point of them was they were supposed to deal with the sin and the guilt before God of, Jesus's pe of God's people. And they've just totally failed to do it. It hasn't worked because people are so filled 
with a desire to ignore God and to sin against him, it was too much. And so now the priests and the Levites come out from Jerusalem to see who John the Baptist is. Their presence is a reminder of human failure to deal with sin and guilt before God in a place where we're reminded this didn't work. They're all looking for this one person, the Messiah, who's going to fix it. And John the Baptist, so he, he uh, isn't the answer either, is he? So he starts with what he's not. Uh, he, didn't, he did not fail to confess, but he confessed freely, I'm not the Messiah, I can't do anything about it. And they said, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? That's a man who spoke the very words of God in Israel's history. He never saw death because of God's favour. God said someone like him would come again. He is like the holiest, as, you know, as holy as you can get. No, it's not him either. He's no good. Okay, well, are you the prophet, a person who would speak the very words of God again? Someone so touched with divine favour as to be able to predict God's future's plans? Are you, th are, you that, are you that good? No, I'm not that good. Priests, Levites, John the Baptist, Elijah and prophet, obviously none of these holy and special humans are sufficient to deal with the guilt of God's people. If they can't, I can't. You can't. When it comes to my guilt before God, self-help is no help. Self-help is self-defeating. If we think we can do something about the guilt of our sin before God, we are saying we can do something that even the priests, the Levites, John the Baptist, Elijah and the prophet, they couldn't do. It's no good thinking that we can sort this out. We ho we, what hope have we got of dealing with our sin? I can't even stop doing bad stuff. If I could deal with my sin, I'd just stop it tomorrow, wouldn't you? You know, I can't even stop my eyes looking at scantily clad ladies that pop up on the, you know, when you're on your computer screen. and they, How dishonouring to my wife. I can't even stop myself doing that. How am I going to deal with my sin when I can't even do that? I don't know what it is for you. How am I going to deal with my past wrongdoing that plagues me at night? Can't do anything about that, can we? Do you have what it takes to be perfect all the time? Because Hebrews 9.27 reminds us, everyone is destined to die and after that to face judgment from God. So either we do something about that guilt or we take that with us into God's judgment. Now look, many feel guilty before God about things they shouldn't feel guilty. What we're talking about here is offences against God. We've got to be clear about that. But many religious people... Uh, many other people don't feel guilty before God when we should. We justify it. We go, it's not that bad. That's not the way to fix it, is it? That's denial. <clears throat> but some of us rightly feel guilty before God when his Holy Spirit is convicting us of our needs for repentance and faith. And here's the good news. There's hope. And it starts with John the Baptist in his response. When he says, did you see how he responds to them? They say, well, look, come on, tell us who you are. And he says... Uh, verse 25, uh, why then do you baptise... Uh, no, sorry, wait a minute, I've got the wrong place. Uh, verse 23, John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. You think, well, that's a weird thing to say. Why don't you just use a proper answer? What's the smoke and mirrors? But John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and he's quoting Isaiah 40, chapter 3. It's all designed to remind us the place and the quote 
of how helpless the reader is under God's judgment and the wrongness of their sin. Because back in Isaiah, God's people had got it all wrong. And they were under God's judgment. They'd been taken off into exile. It was awful. It's absolutely terrible. And then you get to this, this bit in Isaiah chapter 40, and it says, comfort, comfort my people. The price of your sins has been paid. And the Lord is coming through the wilderness to rescue you, the God himself. Can you see how there's hope? We're all kind of, oh gosh, well these guys can't sort it, so what's going to happen? Here's the hope. The Lord is coming himself. And so who is John the Baptist? Verse 26. Um, he is simply the herald, isn't he? I baptise with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He is the herald of this special person. He knows he's nothing compared to this person who's coming. John the Baptist is, is like the dawn light that heralds the sun coming up and chasing away the darkness forever. He's introducing us to someone of a different order. A different order even to Elijah, to the prophet, to John the Baptist. This Messiah is someone of a different order. He baptises with water, but there's something else extraordinary coming. And what that means is he's baptising people with water, literally washing them. The idea that you're washing yourself clean, you're trying to scrub off. You know in a film where someone does something really bad and they've got the blood on their hands and they're in the shower and they're going, because they're trying to scrub off the blood but also the guilt. That's the idea of baptism, of washing you clean. You do it with water, it doesn't work. We need something else. We need someone of a different order who's got a different way of cleaning. And here he comes. What does he baptise with? Behold the one who can end our guilt. Jesus suddenly pops into view, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, there, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he would be revealed to Israel. So this is the one I meant. The quote of Isaiah about God coming in comfort and to rescue from wrongness in the wilderness, being brought into God's kingdom even though we're sinners. Here is that person. Can you hear his excitement? He's buzzing about it. Moreover, the testimony of John the Baptist is that Jesus is the person we've been waiting for. And it's confirmed by God, not just John the Baptist. Then John gave this testimony, verse 32, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptise with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptise with, not water, but the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. God the Father sends John the Baptist and says, God the Spirit will land on God the Son and that's the person. Do you see? That's the testimony of God too. The chosen one of God is someone we can see and point others to, just like John the Baptist does. And there are two really exciting things about Jesus here, aren't there? Number one, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That sounds like an odd thing to say, doesn't it? What does that mean? What a crazy phrase, but it's wonderful. 
Because in the Old Testament, God told his people they could make an animal sacrifice to sort out their sin and guilt and to escape the wrath of God that rightly would fall upon them. They could put the punishment and their sin deserved onto a goat and actually at the Passover, right at the beginning when he saved his people in Egypt, it was onto a lamb and you could kill that lamb in your place and the wrath of God would pass over you and your sin had been punished and you go free. Jesus is the lamb. Not a lamb, but the lamb of God. He is God's sacrifice for us. In fact, the whole world could have their sin removed so great is his sin-sorting power of Jesus sacrificed. That's exciting. More power in a drop of blood of Jesus than in anything in the whole world. How will that work, though? How will it actually work? You tell me that he takes my sin away, but how will that actually work? That's the other exciting thing. End of verse 33. He says, this is the one, Jesus is the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. He's not just washing you with water. Jesus is a different order of person. He has the Holy Spirit descend on him and remain on him. Did you hear that? And he, he wields the Holy Spirit. So he is able to take the power of God, the person of God, and wash us through with that. Those who receive Jesus will have been washed through by the Holy Spirit, all of our wrongness in God's eyes will be gone. I've talked for a while. You've listened well. I think it's time for an illustration to show you just how fabulous that is. Here's your life. It looks great, doesn't it? But the only problem is, is that our life is topped up with all sorts of things that we get wrong, isn't it? Offences that we commit against God. I don't know. Should I get you to shout yours out? No, let's not do that. What's my? I get angry with the children, or um, I don't know. Um, I might, uh, Paul, give me one. What do I do? Uh, no, don't actually. <laughs> um, I might, I might dishonour my parents. I get that wrong too. I might get really cross with my boss at work. I might. Um, what else do I get? I might think. Oh, oh yeah, we had the lustful thoughts. I put that in there as well. What else have we got? Um, I don't know. You can use your imagination, I'm sure. And that's the problem, isn't it? Is that once sin gets in there, it does just get all around and it taints everything, doesn't it? And that presents us with a problem when we come to God and stand before him and he looks at our life and he says, yeah, that's not drinkable. Do we have any condemnation for that? Well, how am I going to wash this clean? I don't, how are you going to do it? You can't, can you? You can't put it out, you can't put more water in. But what you can do is come to Jesus, who's the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And what that means is, is that he wields the Holy Spirit. It's not Buxton water, it's the Holy Spirit for the purposes of this evening. And when we are baptised with the Holy Spirit, when we pray to Jesus and we ask for him to forgive us and we say sorry, and he gives us his Holy Spirit, this is, this is what happens. That is what happens. In that moment, when God looks at you, this is now what he sees. Now you may think that you are still guilty before God, but if you have trusted in Jesus and he has baptised you with the Holy Spirit, you've been washed through by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing remains. Wonderful is that. Okay.
Jesus is the person promised by God in Isaiah whose purpose is to deal with our guilt and our sin. He is the person of a different order who is able to deal with our guilt because he alone can wield the Holy Spirit. He is the person who wants to deal with our sin. The only person who goes to the cross to die for you and I. The only person that loves us that much. He'd go to the cross to die for Lucy Lappy. Uh, he is the king who doesn't come to be served, but to serve us by dying in our place so that he might take our punishment and wash us clean like this. And so we should never continue to feel guilty if we trust in the blood of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we must never look at any past sin in our life in any way except that which leads us to praise and magnify his grace in Jesus Christ. Never look at what you've done in the past and remain in guilt. You should always end up in thank you, Lord God, for Jesus who has taken my sin away and made me perfect. Do we think our sin is too great? The blood of Jesus is greater. Do we think God doesn't really want to end our guilt? Look how much he wants to end it. He came himself to take our punishment on himself in Jesus. Do we think I'm too ready to offend? I'm too ready to sin? God is more ready to forgive. Do we hear Satan whispering that the offence, the guilt is still there, stirring up that guilt? Jesus takes away the sin of the world. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. Do we fear curse or punishment? Look at Jesus on the cross, receiving that curse and punishment in full. You cannot be cursed and punished more or again. Do we fear the charge of our wrongdoing being laid at our door in the future? Your sins aren't just suppressed by you. They are taken away by God himself. Who can reach out to that place wherever he has taken them and resurrect those charges against you? Spurgeon said, until God can change or lie, he will never bring to mind again the sin of that man he has pardoned. Isn't that great? Until God can change or lie, he will never again bring to mind again the sin of that man he has pardoned. This is what excites me about Jesus. That's why I want to be like John the Baptist and telling everyone about him. Because there is no one else who will take away your guilt and your sin and guarantee your future. Buddha doesn't. Muhammad doesn't. He tells you you've just got to try harder. There's no answer to this in the atheist secular. You just, you just maybe deny that it's sin. You just say it's not hurting anyone, it's fine. But the guilt gnaws away, doesn't it? There's no answer for taking away sin except for the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why our land needs Jesus like nothing else. And we must tell him we must tell people about him in this mission week that's coming up. What an opportunity to introduce people to the one person who takes away the sin of the world. Can I say, uh, on a closing note here, do not confuse the often judgmental nature of the church and God's people with the forgiveness of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. If you're someone here today who has got a hard time from Christians for something that you've done, I'm sorry for that. But do not confuse that with Jesus, who takes away your sin. Twitter is the place, isn't it, that has revealed to us that being judgmental is more natural for us than grace. 
Even God's people might be unmerciful sometimes, but not the master. He has come with one purpose, to forgive. And so, church family, do we ooze this grace of Christ who has taken away our sins in everything we do? Will we take away, you know, will we ooze that grace when we think of Nurse Letby and we think, even her, will we see her in heaven with great rejoicing as two forgiven sinners, myself and her? I want that because if there's hope for her, there's hope for me. John the Baptist is heralding a whole new beginning and it dawns with the arrival of Jesus. We can herald that same dawn of a new beginning in our own lives. It dawns with believing in Jesus. It breaks with trusting him to take our sin away. Jesus is the son who chases away our dark of our guilt as we walk in his light all our life. What we can do afterwards is just talk to each other about what helps you remind you that Jesus has taken away your guilt. How wonderful is that? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you are the Lamb of God who would come to serve us and save us by taking away our sin. Lord, we long for our families and our friends and our nation to know this forgiveness and the freedom and the joy and the comfort that comes from it to a whole generation, a whole land that is plagued by fear of being caught out, by being judged by those around them, Lord, by those who want to counsel them or whatever it is. Uh, Lord, we long to know your grace so that we would just lift our hearts in rejoicing and excitement like John the Baptist and say, look everyone, over here is Jesus who takes away the sins of the world. Bless us with that lovely joy and that confidence in your grace. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um.